Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to episode number 32 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast that is 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name's Kyle, and this is the Daikaiju Discussion episode for the month of April 2011, and we're going to be talking with the crew and some uh, have some listener input for the Korean film Yongari, Monster of the Deep. I also have some news, and I'm going to do a little tiny mini-review for the second issue of Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters from IDW Publishing. There will be some local events to talk about, and of course, what would an episode of the Kaiju Cast be without music? We're going to start the requests off. Sean asked to hear the main titles from The Human Vapor.
right, welcome back. As stated mere minutes ago, the first track we heard were the main titles from The Human Vapor. That was requested by Sean. Uh, we followed that up with The Three Monsters Fight to the Death by Akira Ifukube from Godzilla vs. Mothra, the 1992 film. Uh, that was a request kind of uh, from me. I wanted to hear that song. And uh, then followed that up with Flight of Garuda by a band called Daikaiju. And I um, actually was uh, told about this by a listener named Ryan. And he, um, I guess, has been checking out that band. They've been touring uh, recently, and I will have a link in the show notes to their own website, which is actually where I got that song from. We're going to go ahead and start things off with our main chunk of the episode tonight, because once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast will showcase one particular film from the giant monster landscape and task the listeners with submitting thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following episode. Thanks to an online tool, I've randomly assigned one movie to each month, guaranteeing that this podcast is just going to keep going and going and going and going. This month, we turn our attention to the North in one of the few giant monster movies from the land of the morning calm, Korea. That's right. We are watching the South Korean film Yongari, Monster of the Deep. According to a really in-depth article on Sci-Fi Japan, which I will link to in the show notes, and um, I'm actually just going to read some of it directly from the article. Yongari was produced by... Kyukdong Entertainment Company. The studio's first major hurdle was in learning how to make a giant monster movie, which is a difficult task since there had been no such films ever made before in Korea. The producers invited Japanese effects technicians to work on the great monster Yongari and eventually partnered with Toei. Uh, And let's see, it also says that the great monster Yongari was a massive production by Korean standards at the time. The budget was roughly 13 million won, which is approximately $50,980 U.S. at the 1967 exchange rates. Very in-depth article, like I said. Um, Roughly three to four times the cost of the average Korean film. The movie opened at the Kukje Cinema on August 13th, 1967, and eventually had 150,000 admissions statistics In Korea are unclear if that number describes tickets sold in Seoul or nationwide. The film's impact in Korea is still being felt to this day. Um, American International Pictures picked up the rights to the film and released it through their television division in 1969 as Yongari, Monster from the Deep. The English dub was done by Titra Sound Corporation. AIP's chief dubbing facility. According to the article, the AIP print is what MGM used for their DVD. That's um, and it survived and looked pretty good. Uh, I am, or I, I was going to buy this. I probably still will. And normally we would be watching the film on DVD and talking about that particular version, but with it being <clears throat> tax season and so forth, uh, I was super pleased when listener Jim Sharkey mentioned on Facebook that the film was available on Netflix streaming. So hopefully that made the film a little more accessible to some of you, whether or not you wrote in. We sat down to watch the film, and without further ado, here's how it went down. Joining me in the KaijuCast headquarters tonight, we have Martin, Cindy, Heather, and Justin. And we just finished watching Yongari, not Yongari as I've been calling it for the past three months. And boy, oh boy. This was 
an interesting film. None of us had seen it, which um, is a first for the Kaiju cast. I mean, usually I've seen the movies, and usually Cindy has seen at least some of the movies. Uh, Jeff is not here because he's a jerk, and we hate his face. <laughs> just kidding, dude. And uh, yeah, so we're just gonna t- we're just gonna start talking about this. Heather's got the microphone. Um, I will I will let everybody know that uh, if they want to see what happened for the live tweeting, which I'll have to announce on Facebook next time and, and Twitter. What's the hashtag for that? What was the hashtag you guys used? Kaiju live tweets. Kaiju live tweets. Kaiju, all one word. Yeah. Yes, right. Kaiju live tweets. Kaiju live tweets. Uh, search for that in Twitter and you can see the glory unfold. <laughs> the glory of younger ape. Uh, so we, we did a fair amount of, uh, rib jabbing at this film, heckling it. Yes. Uh, I will say that some parts were honestly quite confusing. It was, it was not a terrible film. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't good, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, oh, what's the worst? Oh, Megalon. It wasn't Megalon in my person, in my (laughs) opinion, but, uh, Heather, since you got the microphone, um, overall thoughts. <laughs> I liked the monster suit, with the exception of the what you called glowing, what I called painted on eyeballs. I yeah. I really didn't get glowing from it. the The one time I did was when he opened opened his eyes, and I went, oh, okay, I guess I could see glowing from there. But I actually thought that it was just they'd done a decent job with the suit and then remembered that he should have eyeballs at the last minute and shellacked them on with some white paint. Yeah, well, they were definitely. Highly glossy, but they were definitely, I mean, they they were lighted from the inside for sure. And I agree. I think the suit was probably probably the best part about this movie was the, was the, way, was the way the suit looked. And um, he was a little stubby and a little, uh, one of my listeners wrote stiff. And so I could agree with that. Um, his face had some very Gamera-like qualities to it. Uh, I didn't really like the glowing nose, but... Nose horn. horn. Nose horn. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the suit was cool. I thought that some of the miniature work was really great in this film too, but a lot of it. Really? Some of it was really great. Like, Can you point out something specific for me? Because I was actually pained by a lot of the miniature work throughout this movie. I know that- Martin is nodding his head. Well, I think that the way the miniatures broke apart was ter- pretty terrible overall but some of the miniature work especially earlier on like when he was um going through the city at first the tanks i i didn't have a problem with the tanks and the spaceship (laughs) (laughs) and the missiles all six all six of the guided missiles yes they were guided missiles guided missiles yeah you got they were guided missiles right you're too late (laughs) they're gonna shoot him with guided missiles with the the guided missiles any minute now any minute now now. Uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that uh like uh okay, so specifically there was one shot and it wasn't towards the beginning of the movie when Yonguri was in the background and there was this sort of rolling hill coming towards the camera um with some refinery stuff in the foreground, I think. And I thought that was good. Their landmark looked good. Yeah, I I think some of the perspective shots were were better than some I've seen in other giant monster movies. Uh, it, it, yeah. it, it it didn't seem they seemed to pay a little bit more t- attention to size and perspective at some points in the movie. 
Yeah, so somebody wrote that uh that the perspectives were way off sometimes and like there were people that were that looked like they might be one and a half stories tall, but I the only time I ever got that was like towards the end when that really weird We had that bizarre blue the, screen moment. The blue screen foot came down and yeah, that was maybe the only time. Because that would mean that that man that Youngery picked up earlier in his massive massive claw was the tiniest man in Korea if <laughs> if that jeep was any uh any any size perspective there for us later on. Maybe he was from the tiny tank. Oh, the, oh, the tiny tank. Yeah. Um <laughs> the movie certainly had uh some surprises that I enjoyed like uh like when we all thought younger he was going to eat that guy and then just too small throw him back <laughs> right and in the dude's sister and his uncle were going to get married there at the end <laughs> okay so i don't even know uh like how to explain that that whole situation i mean it, i don't know i think it was another case of attempting like like we said before the mics came on i you know Basically, South Korea decided that they wanted to cash in on, you know, the giant monster scene, and they said, "Well, okay, so it's going to be a giant monster movie. Well, you got to have some other stuff in there. Uh, that'll all come together when we start rolling." Right? Yeah. <laughs> they um, had what we said, like four story. Right. Lines, I think there was about four four storylines going on. Yeah. Was very sort of Monty Python, and now for something completely different. Yeah, and there were a lot of shots that just kind of seemed to be thrown in there, like. Like there was that one shot with no dialogue where I was like, shh, everyone's just looking at the screen. <laughs> uh, Martin grabbed the microphone. So what, what do you got to say, man? I'm still trying to figure out the uh, surf music scene, <clears throat> actually. Why why the, the boy just suddenly ran out of the laboratory? And apparently he was within running distance with the uh, blue itchy light. And, uh, yeah, I think that is the scientific term for that blue itchy light, um, which doesn't seem to have any other relevance than it, it, they had the itchy couple at the beginning and then the itchy lizard with it later on. And, uh, yeah, and then younger E begins to dance to surf music that was playing from what? Yeah. So that was a gifted child. I did not understand the surf music either. I understood why the kid ran out of the la- the laboratory. Uh, he was probably tired of his sister falling asleep on him. And then, uh, you know, he just seemed, that kid seemed a little too mischievous. I mean, he, he basically had two modes, interested and wanting to cause trouble. Well, and, and then there was the third mode of covered in poop. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we had. Yes. Uh, we he had was Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown all the way. <laughs> uh, Which I actually think third mode was my favorite mode of all. <laughs> who who didn't love the kid covered in poop moments? Like clearly, the sewers were were poopy that day. I was like, uh, so did uh, I? Totally yeah. said poop on your podcast. We we I think. Who who? Anybody else want to say poop? <laughs> I'm good for now. Poop is poop is okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh the movie was um i don't know man i i really <laughs> i don't even know what to say like seriously you guys out there 
do yourself a favor, go to Twitter and search for Kaiju live tweet because I I haven't seen what was posted yet because I didn't have my There was some fine quality play by play happening. I know there were. My phone kept buzzing during the whole thing, so and be careful, there are spoilers. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> Make sure it's a timeline kind of thing, so the most recent tweet is gonna be the last tweet. So, you know, skip back. Um I I tell you what, the uh I don't understand why the first characters went into the first character went into space. What was up with that? I believe he was he was going up to do some recon on their earth tremors or earthquakes as they seem to go back and forth but on I calling them. The, but but I don't know for sure. What, what's wrong, science guy? There's gesturing <laughs> here. Yeah. Here, let so me, we let only me have pass two this. microphones. Let me pass this along. <laughs> well, then what was the airplane doing? I thought, okay, what I got out of it was that the airplane dropped a bomb for nuclear testing and that was what woke up Yungari, and then the earthquakes came from that. No, but the guy was already up in space in his little in his pod when that. Again, I, I'm not agreeing with Heather. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why he was in space. It didn't make sense. I know recon. Yeah, yeah. they said that it was two day recon trip. Two day recon trip. It ha- it had to do with some nuclear testing in Russia, so they had to send him up in a capsule for some reason. They couldn't just send a plane out there. Mm. He's the only one that, can't, that, got, that got Russia. I missed no, I Russia. Got, yeah. Russia. Did they say Russia? They said Russia, yeah. Huh. I did too. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we're all too busy live tweeting and not and finding flaws. <laughs> Except for Cindy. <laughs> Cindy got it. We were we were too preoccupied with the uh with the fact that he was taking a two day recon trip into space. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's one that's one fast trip right there. Yeah. I thought it was like, oh, still black. Turning back. So, Atmosphere is still here. There are stars. Yeah. And, and apparently there's a giant rift in space that you can see yeah, from that Korea. Was awesome. That was well. awesome. That that was pretty spectacular. I was gonna make a Doctor Who reference, but then realized that probably no one in the room except me would have gotten it. Uh, yeah, there were lots of wah 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 moments, <laughs> lots of them, like the plane getting cleaved in half, <laughs> and the uh, the jeep as well. That mm-hmm. was actually that was kind of impressive. <laughs> I just I would have liked to have been on set that day, to be perfectly honest. So the the jeep gets cut in half. All right, impressive. But then you could see the little dummy wheel that they had hanging out the back for it, kind of similar to the little flamethrower Yungari head, whereas that <laughs> oh, with the ring of death in his in his mouth. Is that what? Oh, was that a ring of death? My bad. I thought that was actually the outlet for the flamethrower that they had. Is <laughs> either that or like a fire breathing kazoo? I'd actually decided that that was why he was on his rampage because he had swallowed something and it was stuck <laughs> and he was very angry. I've got a gas tank in my mouth. Uh, why yes. won't anyone help me? Yeah. So, y- thanks for the wheel thing, man. Maybe if I dance, suspension help of me. disbelief is the whole key to these movies, Martin. Jeez. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Which I think I think my favorite moment actually was at the very beginning, spotting the cameraman in the. Uh, 
in the in the, <laughs> the back reflection. Of the rear, yeah, in the rear view mirror there. That was that was pretty good. But I'm not normally uh, I'm not normally that observant. Right. Yeah. I, I liked it when the uh, married couple couldn't pick a lane when they were driving down the freeway at the very beginning. There are all sorts of things I liked about this movie. Goofy, goofy, goofy things. It was a very fun movie to watch with friends. Oh, yeah. Watching it by yourself might be kind of uh, rough. I don't know if I would have lasted. I mean, I, and not like I would have died while watching it. I just would have probably turned it off. I, I, I may have died. <laughs> Um, so I guess what, uh, what, let's go into the standard stuff. I mean, like we kind of talked about what we liked and kind of talked about what was lame, but, um, you know, is, is there anything about this movie that would make it better? Like if you <laughs> made it more cohesive, I mean, obviously, but I don't know. I, just, I, I don't know what else to say about this film, you guys. <laughs> It's kind of quiet. Get a six-pack. Get your friends together. It's on Netflix Instant View. You will not be disappointed. Yes. I, what, like, my, 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 my takeaway from this movie is that uh, the Koreans made a goofy, goofy monster movie. According to that article that I read, it's supposed to be a big deal, like the biggest movie at the you know at the time, biggest budget and everything like that. So, even though it was like it, uh, shall I say it doesn't hold up to time? Or should I mean? It seems to me that in 1967, uh, even Japan was going through some goofy moments with their with their Japanese monster movies. I don't I don't think I would say that it doesn't hold up to time. I think that ultimately. They were sort of grasping at a storyline and went with a few different, a few different things and tried to kind of pull some similarities to Godzilla in there. I mean, it it seemed like they were trying to make some sort of a of a statement with the fact that he he ate gasoline and oil. Like that was some sort of a. It kind of relates to Gamera. For you know, Gamera sort of has. What didn't he kind of attack? The refineries in the first movie, I think maybe. Right. So they've uh, got grasping's some. Grasping's a good word, though. Yeah, it was like they were trying to get some sort of a message there, but they, but they forgot to put it in, so they just kind of threw it out at the last minute. And and as the, uh, was his name Ichi? Icho. Icho. Excuse Icho, me. Yeah. It was he had the itchy blue light, so yeah. I just kept thinking of him as, as the itchy child. Yeah. But, uh, he you know he had his fantastic line there at the end about you know knowing that knowing that he had to oh can, the, I, can I can I say it can yeah, I spoil yeah. please this my is sp- a spoiler here spoiling but yes that you know he know he understands that they had to kill him but he wishes that he could still be there and it was it was it was you know I saw him dance and play and he was just a he was just an innocent monster and we didn't understand him and and uh, the, if only the misunderstood monster right they angle. were you know like i said they tried for a couple messages and kind of fell short i think on them so uh, did the godzilla movies of the time try to have the the likability of the monster at at this point in time because i know there was that one period of time where they were yeah, trying for, sure. for that so uh, maybe there's something we're missing in translation with this too, because at the time this could have been a fair movie. 
I don't. I think I think in the, at the time it it was probably a fair movie, and then that would explain the, you know, the uh, the dance scene with with the giant monster and the little boy. Yeah. Well, it's 1967, and uh, you know, so if you if you go film wise, you know, they didn't have home video, obviously. So uh, the previous films in the Godzilla lineup were, you know, 1966, going back in time. So you know, you'd have like King Kong versus Godzilla. And then the switch happens. At, oh, sorry. Then Mothra versus Godzilla. And then the switch happens in the following film, Ghidra, the three-headed monster, which was 1965. So 65, 66, Godzilla is a, does have, uh, does exhibit child, not childlike, but uh, like superhero qualities and, you know, become a good guy. And uh, Gamera in 1965 as well. Is is another friend of all children kind of thing. Sixty six, I think, was his next film. Yeah, and so maybe that's part of what they were trying to go for with the with the dance scene, and then you know trying to foreshadow that there would be a sequel with the kid saying, "Oh, I wish he was here." You know, maybe maybe they were going for that kind of uh, maybe some of that Godzilla money, I guess, for lack of a, a better way of describing. Yeah, rectal bleeding usually doesn't mean sequel. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I, I I would tend to agree with that, but I'm not Korean and I don't know what they do in their spare time. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, uh, anyone else? Uh, Cindy, do you have anything else to add about the film? I know you seem like a little speechless after that. At least you weren't live tweeting during it because <laughs> Cindy's <laughs> not on Twitter. That's only because, I, yeah, I'm not on Twitter and I don't have a phone that'll do that. No, it was definitely worth watching. I I think I did myself a favor by intentionally not looking up any references to this film. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I actually wish cold. I hadn't seen anything. Uh, like I, I was recording before you guys got here and I I was reading things and I was, I was just like, ah, this is going to ruin it for me. It did not ruin it for me, but I had no idea what I was getting into. I don't think anyone did. Yeah, yeah I think Heather just said she didn't think anybody else did had any idea so uh if i let's just go for final thoughts martin final thoughts on youngery i think between youngery and the host somewhere some korean man i'm assuming korean director Made some good leaps and bounds. Have you seen the host? Ma- many things have been learned. Uh, I have not seen the host okay. all the way through. I've seen most of it, and okay. I believe there's a sequel. Is always the and what I have. You've seen, seen most of the host. Most of the host. Right. Sorry, that's right. And uh, yes, that's our little Dr. Seuss moment. I'm a little goofy, <laughs> uh, um, but I, and I've heard there's a sequel to the host, and I haven't seen that yet. But it's not out yet. Um, but yeah, so. To me, this seems like a very young, uh, amateurish, probably just trying to become some sort of an industry film. Like they really didn't have anything else, and it and they and they wanted to. This was their attempt to uh, to just try to have something. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, and like I said, you know, this was their this was the first monster movie in Korea from what I've read. Uh, after this, they've got Pulsagari, which I think is an 80s film. And uh, then they have 
Reptilian, which is, I guess, a remake of this, which is supposed to be absolutely f- terrible. And uh, then the host is the is the next one. And they have Chaw, too, which is actually up there on the... Somewhere up there on the shelf. It's about a giant... Uh, giant... Like, warthog pig thing, I guess. I haven't seen that yet. But, yeah. They eventually got the host, and that's that's good stuff. Anyone else? Final thoughts? Uh, just to let you know, I have seen Reptilian. You have seen it? Okay. It's, so it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the look on her face. Yeah, no. No. Yeah. Um, considering the year Reptilian was made and its quality, and considering when this was made in 1967 and what they had to work with at that time, I think this one actually comes out ahead. Well, that's just sad for Reptilian. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Heather, what say you? How about this? Would you show this movie to anybody else ever? Uh, yes, yes, I would. I, I think, I think my parents would probably enjoy it in that same sort of lost skeletons of cadaver kind of kind of way. It's uh, yeah, you could totally try and tell somebody that this was made recently and yes, trick them exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it um. It was a movie. It was it was made in <laughs> it was made in 1967. That's uh, that's my final thought there. All right, I, I have to say I like the movie, but that's because I like horrible B style movies, and so it kind of feels like it falls into that awful movie that's awful to the point of being entertaining to me. So I I, I would show people it, but I wouldn't watch it by myself. All right. Well, I would say that. Uh, in general, we could probably sit here and watch the movie again and record it for the very first uh, or one of the very first Kaiju Cast MST3K style commentaries. But that's not a definite thing. Uh, we did get some submissions from listeners out there, so let's hear what they had to say. We did not get a lot of submissions this time, but a few brave souls sent in their reviews. Sean wrote in to say that Yongari, Monster of the Deep, is among the slew of monster movies that he discovered during his weekly rentals at Major Video, along with Gorath, Monster Zero, and Godzilla vs. Biollante. And he thinks he may have been eight or nine when he saw this one. Naturally, he made the inevitable comparisons to Godzilla and Gamera, and probably because he didn't realize the film was Korean. Sean felt the film had the same degree of humor and fun as the Toho and Daae films of the same era, and like Jungari's design, He also has to say, what kid wouldn't want a light ray that induces uncontrollable itching? Benjamin notes that Yungari is an odd film without much in the way of plot. He did like the absurd monster-slash-human dance scene, Uh, even though the special effects in general were pretty bad. uh, There were but a few gems, like Yungari's horn beam cutting through the car and the plane, he found some of the movie pretty funny, specifically the bride apparent, uh, the bride's apparent repulsion to her new husband's kissing attempts, and the out-of-scale people fleeing from Yungari in the city. He actually paused the movie and looked uh, at the people, and it seemed they seemed to be about uh, one and a half stories tall, and some of the runners seemed to be carrying pillows, a trash can, and even a globe. Yungari himself was not too bad looking. Benjamin also notes that Yungari was not the monster in this film. It was really Icho who uses untested dangerous science equipment on his family. 
knows how to navigate the sewer system, shut off the oil refinery by himself, and gleefully plays with the monster who just killed hundreds of people. He says he would show this film to others, but just because it is so outrageous. Robert says that if any kaiju could be looked upon as pusillanimous, Yongari would certainly be counted among them. He is small, stiff, weak, and manages to slightly damage buildings after tremendous effort, structures that even lesser monsters like Gilala could have totally demolished with ease. The live-action inserts seem to be mismatched with the effects shots. Somehow the color, film stock, or the scale is off. This flick left him scratching his head. Is that Kim Jong-il sitting with all the military guys and scientists? Is the itch-inducing flashlight the dumbest invention since Tetsuo's lady alarm? What was up with the Yongari dance? Did he get this wrong, or did they get rid of the monster by putting some Windex on it? P.S. He hates pan and scan. Jim wasn't sure what to say about this film. On one hand, it's a shameless ripoff of the first Gamera film, but on the other hand, it has some weird moments that make it unique. There are some quick bits about social satire with uh, the scenes of the gluttonous businessmen and the partying young people amongst all the destruction. And then there's the scene where Icho uses the itching ray to make Yongari dance. Yes, it was campy as hell, but the surf guitar music in the soundtrack seemed oddly familiar and turned out to be based on, and I hope I'm saying this right, Ariran, a traditional Korean ballad that was also the inspiration for variations on a Korean folk song, which was a piece that he played in junior high school band. He found the final scene of Yungari dying in writhing agony while the people in the helicopter smile and giggle to be really disturbing. Icho feels bad for about a second and then gets over it very quickly. It's just another example of the uneven tone of this film. And that does it. Thank you for writing in, you guys. Oh boy. The next film in the list is a doozy. Start prepping now because the next film is Godzilla 1985 or Godzilla Returns, as it is known in Japan. If you have the movie, well done. I do have a copy. Um, I have a copy of the Japanese version, but I'm going to try. I've been trying to get a copy with Raymond Burr, um, not having too much luck. I'm not really willing to pay a ton of money just to have the Laserdisc. So I'm not positive which version we'll be watching, but for whichever version of the film you watch, let me know so that I can maybe group them together when I record the episode. So if you watch the Japanese one, just make sure you mention that in your notes. If you watch the uh, American version, make sure you mention that in your notes. I'm going to take a little break and uh, grab a drink. But when we come back, we'll take a look at some Godzilla news. And I guess I should warn you that I'm going to play The Miracle of the Three Holy Beasts by Kao Otani from GMK.
United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. So before I get into the news, obviously I played uh, Koatani's song, at, but I also played um, Destroy All Monsters from Destroy All Monsters by Akira Fukube because I felt a little needed a little extra pep before getting into the news. So not a lot has actually happened this this month in the way of news. So um, maybe that means we'll be wrapping up the episode kind of kind of soon. First and foremost, the newest issue of Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters was released on Wednesday of this week, the 27th. Um, I have read the issue, and here's a mini spoiler-free review. Things are happening. Not only do we see the addition of two new monsters, the issue really feels like it's on its way to something bigger. And if you haven't picked it up yet, please do so and let me know what you think. Um, Also, keep an eye out for the next episode where I'll be posting an interview with the author of the book, Eric Powell. Speaking of that interview, I actually want to take a minute to thank Mary Suzanne from the Stumptown uh, Comics Fest for allowing me the opportunity to set up shop and interview Eric. And uh, thanks to Indigo and the whole Stumptown crew for making the show better than ever, in my opinion. And uh, keep an ear out for that in the next episode. Another bit of news is that uh, apparently Mill Creek Entertainment, the same company that brought us the pretty decent transfer, in my opinion, um, of the first two Heisei Gamera films, is bringing the Damajin trilogy to Blu-ray sometime in 2011. An actual street date has not been set, but according to Sci-Fi Japan's Keith Aiken, the three films were able to be optioned due to the now-defunct ADV Films license having expired. Uh, It looks like not much has been finalized, but tentative plans call for the first two Daimajin films to be released together as a Blu-ray double feature. Both movies will come with Japanese audio, English subtitles, plus the English dub track from AIP's original U.S. release. Since the third movie was never dubbed into English, Mill Creek will be releasing it separately with Japanese audio and English subtitles. I'll have a link in the show notes to uh, Keith's article on Sci-Fi Japan. And of course, as soon as more information is available, I will probably be talking nonstop about them, as I really love these films, and you should too. Toho is demanding that an iPhone app maker named Inert Soap stop using Godzilla-like artwork of a finger supporting... Godzilla's trademark spines in the Fingerzilla Apple iOS app. While this is not as ridiculous as their attempts to sue Honda a few months back for their uh, commercial with the minivan, uh, mostly it's hard to argue that Godzilla's spines aren't being used. I mean, they're really pretty obviously being used there. They're dead on. It's, It's just annoying as a fan to see, like, to see the company that's in charge of something that should be, you know, bringing joy to the world, like cracking down on people that are just, you know, barely infringing on, on that. And I'm sure their their argument is, oh, well, these guys are making money off of, off of our character. And I will admit, for Fingerzilla, which is an app that I have on my iPod, yeah, they sort of are. You don't actually see it in the game except for the little splash screen. It's uh, basically you tap the screen and you blow up buildings with your, um, I think with your, you're like stepping on them. 
but you're you're destroying buildings anyway. <clears throat> I just think it's kind of annoying, and as a fan, I wish they would just kind of cut it out. So there you go. There's my two cents about that. Not that uh, that's a surprise. I think I'm just gonna move on. So from all accounts, this month's Monster Palooza in Burbank, California, seems to have been a hit with both the fans and the guests, especially Haruo Nakajima. If you want to check out what I consider to be some of the best coverage, head over to Miguel Rodriguez Monster Island Resort and check out the presentations. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes to his website. There are all sorts of local events happening here in the Portland area, so let's talk a little bit about those. Geek Trivia is moving to the McMinimins Kennedy School. Be there for a new chapter in the saga of Geek Trivia with Court and Fatboy. Thrill to the spacious interiors of McMinimins Kennedy School. Savor the tasty food and beverages of one of Portland's most popular venues. Join us in the theater May 3rd. Doors open at 6.30 and trivia starts at 7. As always, entry is free, but now we can welcome attendees aged 18 and up and kids under 18 with a parent. Keep in mind that this is like an R-rated event, though. Court and Fatboy are not known for their clean podcast. They are known for being an awesome podcast, but it's explicit. Oh, you know what else is going on really soon? Uh, Court and Fatboy, speaking of them, are presenting The Big Lebowski at their midnight movie for the month of May. That's the first Friday of every month they show a really cool movie at the Baghdad Theater. And this month, as they have done for the last, I think, five or six years, they're showing The Big Lebowski. It's an event they call Cinco de Lebowski. Uh, This is a 21 and over event. And all the pre-sale tickets have already gone away. But um, if you're in the area and you want to see The Big Lebowski and like an amazing uh, venue where every single person at the show really loves the big Lebowski. This is the place to do it. Um, uh, you can check out their website, courtandfatboy.com, I believe it is. And uh, definitely make sure that uh, if you want to go, you get there early. I think the doors open a lot earlier than midnight. I know I'm going to be there along with a whole bunch of my crew, the KaijuCast crew that is, which is funny because I'll be staying up late on Friday night and then early Saturday morning, I'm going to be rising somewhat early and going to free comic book day at Things from Another World. I will be dressed up in my Stormtrooper gear, so if you're a Portland native and you want to see me uh, in as a Commander Bakara or an Evo Trooper, come out to free comic book day at the Beaverton Things from Another World. Not only is uh, the Beaverton store going to have people and artists as well and creators, the Hollywood store is going to have a bunch of people, including the PDX Yar Pirates, and the Milwaukee store will have creators and artists as well. Then I believe the next big thing happening in our area here goes on from May 14th and 15th. It is Wonder Northwest. Wonder Northwest is an amalgamation of pop culture subcultures. Here you'll find regular folks commingling with superheroes, pirates, geeks, nerds, cosplayers, film enthusiasts, gamers, and other nice people. Uh, our ven- the vendor room will feature comic books, toys, video games, and more from some of the best dealers across the country. There will be contests and panels, and other special events will be open for all attendees, attendees to enjoy. 
conveniently located in the heart of Portland with easy access to Portland Airport, public transportation, and of course nearby restaurants and other attractions. Special guests include Craig Thompson, uh, who has worked on Blankets, Kurt Halsey, and Tim Seeley. Tim Seeley I'm a big fan of. Also Paul Guinan and Anina Bennett, who are the collaborators behind Boilerplate. And Gus Lopez is going to be there. He's the guy who has ToysRGus.com, and uh, he is a huge Star Wars collector. Andy Mangles is going to be there. He... Um, he has worked with the Wonder Woman Day every year. I went there last year. Scott Kirkwood is going to be there. He uh, runs the Star Wars Holiday Special.com website and is like basically he's the guy who you would go to if you had questions about the Star Wars Holiday Special. Rick Emerson is a special guest. Now, if you're wondering what's going on at the show, let me tell you some really cool things are happening. There's this guy named Kyle who runs this podcast called the Kaiju Cast, and he's going to be doing a presentation Sunday morning at 11 a.m. called Godzilla A Go-Go, where he talks about how awesome Godzilla is, and um, you should totally check that out. I'm not sure exactly what's happening. Uh, I know I'm going to be having a table in the podcast alley section. I'm going to probably sell the remaining posters that I have. There is a podcast panel as well, although I'm not sure if I'm going to be on that. Basically, you can check out the website. Go to wondernorthwest.com and check it out. It's going to be a blast. This is um, the first time that uh, the guy who, who's running this, Billy Galaxy, he's, he's throwing this convention, he's putting it on, and he wants it to be super awesome. So I urge you to come check it out. And if you're near Portland, make sure, make sure you check it out. It's May 14th and 15th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Portland. Uh, now, that's all I got for local events. I'm sure there's more happening, but I'm, I'm going to be doing another show at the beginning of May. So let's talk about something else. This is something I kind of wanted to do for a little while now. It's uh, called Podcasts I Listen To, and it's not going to be a regular feature. It's just something I wanted to do because... Uh, I've been on a couple other podcasts recently, and I just, you know, I wanted to share the love when it comes to podcastery. First and foremost, well, not foremost, but first, I wanted to talk about this this show called Listen to Jimmy. There's this comics guy. He's a writer and an anchor, and uh, he's drawn uh, artwork as well. His name is Jimmy Palmiotti, and he's worked on a number of comics that I enjoy. And he does a show, uh, I think, about every week with this guy named Mike in Canada from Where Monsters Dwell. That is a great show, especially if you like comic books. It's just interesting to hear his stories. And, you know, it's not all about comic books. It's just kind of a laid-back show where they talk about awesome stuff. And um, you can actually hear a bunch of uh, Godzilla sounds if you listen to some of the older episodes because Jimmy likes to play with the soundboards while he's on Skype and it's uh, it can be pretty funny I highly suggest that also Jimmy uh, Palmiotti is I think married to if not married to engaged to Amanda Connor Amanda Connor is an amazing artist and um, I want to mention to you guys out there that she has an art book coming out in June I've already pre-ordered it. If you're a fan of her work, check it out. Next up, I want to talk about Court and Fatboy. Now, Court and Fatboy, like I said earlier, is an explicit 
none of, actually none of these podcasts that I'm going to talk about are clean necessarily. I think maybe one of them is clean, like uh, they, they don't swear. Gordon Badboy, no exception to that. These guys, uh, they do a show every day. So where I do one, I was doing one monthly, and now I'm doing twice a month. They get together every single day of the week, not on the weekends, but uh, they have regular guests, Aaron Duran of Geek in the City. Um, you guys may remember the December show from last year where I had the Missing Real guys on, and one of those guys was David Walker. He's constantly on Tuesdays. Uh, Wednesdays, they have Ryan Fleming from Digital Trends and Courtney Hommeister from Livewire Radio. Thursdays, they have Byron Beck, who's uh, and on Fridays, they have Mike Russell of The Oregonian, who is awesome. There's way too much stuff to talk about with these guys. Anyway, Court and Fatboy put on a really good podcast. They do it every day, and uh, I listen to it every day. I listen to every episode, and I highly suggest you check it out. And from listening to Court and Fatboy, I found out about the next podcast, The Mediocre Show. The Mediocre Show is... Not all these podcasts are, are similar by any means, but The Mediocre Show features three people, Eric Tomorrow, his wife Hope, and Mike Pilot, and they basically have created this awesome like podcast family where um, they talk about whatever they want to talk about, and the, they have regular people who call in, and I mean, they are a beloved show. It might take a little while to get into, but I'll have a link in the show notes to that. Also, got to actually start wrapping this up, but I listened to The Nerdist which is Chris Hardwick's podcast. That's a really interesting one. Um, I don't listen to every single one of his episodes, but I highly suggest checking it out. Every just I think every week, the Nerdist comes out with a new episode. They just had some Doctor Who panel on there, which was amazing to listen to, and uh, he's had some really great guests on. My favorite of all time was Billy West, who did the voice for Stimpy and then eventually started doing Ren's voice too. Okay, I just have two more to talk about. I want to talk about Geek in the City, Geek in the City is a local podcast put on by Aaron Duran, Scott Daly, and uh, Captain Redgoat himself, Dan Clark. They've also had Keelan King, also known as Pwn Tony. If you listen to Court and Fatboy, he's a regular text box writer on that show. Anyway, uh, Geek in the City is a great show. Uh, comes out every week, and I'll have a link in the show notes to that. I might actually link to the show that I was just on where I talked about Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters. And finally, the last podcast I'm going to talk about is the Going Last podcast. If you guys listen to the show, you heard Justin on the uh, February episode. Justin and his roommate Ian, who is also a friend of the Kaiju cast, uh, they put on a weekly gaming podcast and they are quickly going to eclipse me in episode count. Uh, alone, but it's a really good show, especially if you like tabletop gaming. I don't care about that stuff, so it doesn't affect me, <laughs> but I try and listen to every show. Um, that's it. That's all I wanted to do. So I'll have links in the show notes to all of those podcasters because they're all awesome and they are regularly featured on my own iPod. Um, <clears throat> as you can tell, my, my voice is starting to get a little scratchy. So let's wrap this up, shall we? If you found this podcast through iTunes or some other podcast directory and you want to go beyond the podcast itself, simply point your web browsers to kaijucast.com and check out the blog where you can see those handy links in the show notes that I always talk about, vote in the polls, and see the full list of Daikaiju discussions. The KaijuCast is on Facebook and Twitter. There's quite a lot of activity happens on the Facebook page uh, in between episodes. So make sure you check those out. 
I'm trying to do more with the Twitter as well. Also, if you'd like to send me an email, submit your thoughts, questions, and reviews for the next film in the Daikaiju discussion, just send an email to controller at kaijucast.com. Don't forget that the next Daikaiju discussion film is Godzilla 1985, a.k.a. Godzilla Returns. Thanks again to Sean, Benjamin, Robert, and Jim for turning in their homework. Thanks to everybody who came out tonight and watched Yongari, Monster of the Deep. That was a lot of fun. We're going to close this out with a lovely song, a very beautiful track from uh, Michael Graves. This was a request from another listener named Michael. Uh, This one is called Godzilla, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks with the Eric Powell interview. Jamata! Shadow from the sea, like the Aida 